All right. We are on part six of our of our series, Mystery. We're looking, we're going through Ephesians. Today we're gonna finish chapter three, which means we're gonna finish the first half of the book of Ephesians. Now I'm gonna be gone next week. I know. You're going to have to deal with Tom Wilson preaching chapter 4. Chapter 4 is where we get into some meatiness right out the gate, and it doesn't let up, um, but very practical stuff. So we're going to have a great time looking at chapter 4. Today's lesson is called Dynamic Prayer. I was trying to decide between dynamic prayer or a prayer of power. That's what we're going to look at. At the end of chapter 3, the whole, the whole last half, is a prayer. Paul literally says, I kneel before the Lord, I'm going to pray. And he writes out a prayer that he prays for the Ephesian church. And that is what we're going to look at. I have a quick uh, example. This is a screenshot from the movie Armageddon. And this is where they blow up the asteroid, or the comet. They blow it up with a, like a bunch of nuclear weapons, and they just like destroy this thing. And it looks majestic on film, because a bunch of like Hollywood VFX people made it. And uh, it looks awesome. Last week, uh, we actually did this for real. NASA r like rammed into an asteroid. And it was slightly less majestic looking. It was literally just like a view from a satellite as it was approaching this asteroid and it got bigger and bigger and bigger until it disappeared. And everyone was like, whoa, it disappeared! Because that means they hit it right. And the reason why I wanted to share this is we're talking, we're going to talk about power today. And in, in a lot of the ways, we think of power as like the, the nuclear weapon that's going to obliterate the asteroid. The problem is, and even NASA even said this, like, yeah, that's not a good idea. We shouldn't divert asteroids by blowing them up with nuclear weapons. We should, just, we should just see it coming far enough in advance and just run something into it so that it can like miss us. And they said, we're going to test it. We're going to see how much this works. So I, I guess one estimate I read was that it was about the size of like a golf cart hitting the Great Pyramid of Giza. But if you hit, a, if you hit the Great Pyramid of Giza with a golf cart at like 14,000 miles an hour, like you get an effect, like something happens. And so now we're going to test, we're going to see how, how far does the asteroid move. But I, I'm saying this because it goes to demonstrate our um, false perception of what is actual power. Blowing up the asteroid sounds cool, but it, doesn't, it isn't good. What's better is to see it coming, give it a little nudge, and then invest over time that, that, that difference, and it'll miss us completely. And I feel like the same thing is so true when it comes to our prayer. So today we're going to talk about prayer. Prayer is kind of like that. The power of prayer is not like blowing up the asteroid. The power of prayer is like bumping into the asteroid. Now what do I mean by that? The power of prayer isn't its ability to obliterate our problems all the time necessarily. The power of prayer isn't the ability to instantly tra transform us into brand new people. The power of prayer is in its 
focus and its, and its commitment over time to change our relationship with God into something more and more healthy. Now, you, there are lots of stories of people who pray drastic prayers in times of need, and their relationship with God goes unchanged. They prayed a very emotional prayer for something that they wanted, or rescue, or deliverance, or something. They, and so they cry out to God, and yet, the next day, their relationship with God is exactly the same. Now, contrast that with someone who you know, you may have in your mind someone who's like a real prayer warrior, who prays all the time, and you can see in their life that their relationship with God is what is valuable to them. That it's that, their, their prayer is that daily communication with God, that they stay in touch. We had a great Married's Devo last night. We talked about communication, killers and builders of communication, and it's not different than our prayer life. There is a lot of power in prayer, but if you think of it like Armageddon, you're always going to be confused as to why you're not tapping into that power. Because you want it to be amazing and big and drastic and instantaneous, and God's like, maybe that's not how our relationship is designed. It's not that different than human relationships. And that's what we're going to look at today. So I'm going to read the prayer, and then we're going to break it down. I've got three points for us, okay? Let's dig in. Ephesians 3, starting in verse 14. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of riches, he may strengthen you with power through, this, through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know that this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him, who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask for men, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in all the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Hallelujah. That's the prayer. Now, I've got to warn you guys. There is a lot in here, and I've got three things I want to pull out, but each one of these things could be its own sermon, and I would even say each one of these things could be its own sermon series that we just keep talking about for a long time. Now, in this verse, in the English, most English translations, the word power is in here three times. And that's unique because it's the only time in a, in a written prayer in the Bible that, that it's used. The, the one word for power, there's two words for power. One is used twice and another is used once. It's not, it's not crammed into a prayer anywhere else in the New Testament like this. It is used, well, let, me, let me jump in. This is the first one. And so you may know like where we get dynamo, dynamite, dynamic. That's this word. Now, a lot of the times, so in verse 16 it's used, strengthen you with power through his spirit. It's used a lot. Jesus uses this word a lot, but in our English Bibles we translate it as miracle. It's interesting. And so, or, or mighty works. 
miraculous. And so Paul is saying that there is power here that he is praying for. In verse 14. There is a prayer where this word is used, and it is the Lord's Prayer. At the end, when it says, you know, and to, uh, it's not to the Lord, but to thine, if you're doing the King James, and it's the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And that is this word. So it is used in a prayer, but here is, Paul is using these words intentionally to communicate something. Then we have this word. This is a different word that we in the English translate as power, but it means to have enough strength to do this thing. We see this in verse 18. And then again, the end of in verse 20, he uses the dynamite again. So these are three instances that in the English we translate to the word power in this one prayer. And we just read it, so you heard all of them. But the question is, you could read this prayer, and maybe this is what you did. You could read the prayer and be like, oh, this is nice. This is like a, a simple spiritual blessing that Paul is praying on this church. And we can read it in very, like, ooey-gooey religious words and like, oh, I like this prayer. Yet what I want to look at, I want to focus. And what's awesome about this prayer is that in every instance, in all three of these instances, he doesn't mention power without telling you why. And he says, power so that this can happen. Power so that this can happen. Power so that this can happen. And that's what we're going to look at. And like I said, it'd be easy to preach this sermon and be very, like, you know, fluffy to borrow a word from Pat. And yet, when I was going through this, my heart was convicted. Like, my heart was stabbed over and over by the things that Paul was really trying to lay out to the Ephesian church. And so, I'm going to stab you guys a little bit. So here we go. The first one is a dwelling place. Point number one, <clears throat> a dwelling place. Here's what it says. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power. And if we stop right there, you're like, sweet, I want some of that power. But he goes on to say what that power is for. Strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith. God wants to use his Holy Spirit to give us supernatural power, but why? Well, the first point here is that there is, it takes a certain amount of supernatural power to transform us into a dwelling place for Christ. When we talked before about kind of the positional things like, are you in Christ, or do you just want Christ to be in you? And that still stands, but I love the idea, the, the, the mental picture that I have of Christ coming into my heart 
and taking a look around. Kind of like, you ever watch like property shows on HGTV? And they come into a house and take a look around and they give their like unfiltered opinion about what the house looks like? And they come in and they're like, oh, those cabinets are horrible. Oh, the flooring is gross. Oh. There's no sentimentality. They're like, this is disgusting. I'm not buying this house. I think about the exact same thing in my heart when Jesus comes in and takes a look around. What does Jesus find when he comes in and takes a look around my heart? And we see this in the Gospels a few times where it's like Jesus knew the thoughts and attitudes of their heart. He just knew. He looked at them and was like, I know what's going on inside of you. And so, I'm just going to ask us the same question. Do we have a heart where Jesus comes in and finds a welcome place for him? Does he come in and say, I'll, I'll fit in nicely with you? Or does he come in and say, this place is not built to inhabit me? What is the power for? It is the power to have a heart that welcomes Christ. Here's Revelation 3.20. My very first Sunday in Grand Rapids, I did the communion. You remember I did the parable of the teeny tiny banquet, which is this, Revelation 3.20. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. And we're going to take communion after this. And this is what I want you to think about when we take communion. The parable of the teeny tiny banquet, I'm just going to paraphrase it right now, is that in your heart there is a room with a table and two chairs. One of them is yours. What is in the other chair across the table from you? A lot of the times, maybe it's my job or a relationship or my kids, or my spouse, or my stuff, or my sin, my lust, or my pride. That's what I am dining with at the teeny tiny banquet in my heart. And Jesus is standing in line outside. And he will knock, and he will ask, can I come in? And you have the power to say, not right now, Jesus. Stay out there. I'm busy with my true love, whatever that is. So the idea of a heart that welcomes Jesus is important to me, and I think it should be important to all of us. I think about this verse a lot. My two, I know last week, guys, I did the sifting thing, and I did the bread, and I was like, I think about this every time I do communion. This is, this is like, these are the two things I think about when I do communion, when I take communion. Like, who's at the table with me? So here's my question for you guys. Does Jesus find a welcome place in your heart? And you might be like, well, I want to know what that means like practically. You know what? At this point, it just means whatever you think it means. That should be convicting enough. When Jesus pulls back and looks inside your heart, what does he find there? Does he find a place that is welcoming to him? 
Imagine Jesus walking into your heart and deciding if it's a good fit. Now for each one of these points, I could keep it very general, or I could get pretty specific. I'm going to try to get a little specific, guys. Okay. I'm just warning you, the more specific I get, the more uncomfortable it is. And I think the quieter you guys are going to get. <laughs> Do you have a temperament that Jesus will be able to live with in your heart? Do you see people the way Jesus sees people? Do you value your possessions and money the way Jesus would? These are all things that he will find when he tries to dwell in your heart. Do you have compassion on the poor, the orphan, the widow, the diseased, the oppressed, and the foreigner the way Jesus did? Does Jesus find you able to control yourself? Does Jesus find passion and fire, but also gentleness and humility? Does Jesus look in your heart and say, I can dwell here? Or does he say, this place is not built to suit me? Now, changing your mind, changing your heart to accommodate Jesus, that is what we call repentance. Like, I need to change so that Jesus fits in my heart. That's repentance. And remember we talked last, you know, a couple weeks ago about not by works. We're not saved by works. And, and I said, I'm so, like, I, 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 I don't want to say I hate it. I don't like the doctrine where it's like, well, then everything's a work, so I don't have to do anything. Including, I don't have to change to make room for Jesus. I don't have to repent. I don't have to accommodate him because that's work and I'm not saved by works. And to that I say, how prideful that is. Mm. It's shockingly prideful. That is proof that you do not have a heart where Jesus can dwell. Cleaning up our heart so that Jesus is welcome, that is not easy. It takes power. It takes the, the power of God to transform us into something where God can dwell in us. We can't do it on our own, and yet we live in a very religious culture where it's easy to just put on the show. Make it look like everything is fine. I don't need any power because I have my family upbringing. I don't need God's power because I have my it's dangerous. It's very dangerous. Does Jesus find a welcome place in your heart? And like I said, we could talk about this one thing for the next three hours, but I got two more points. Okay. Are you ready? He says power two more times in this, in this prayer. Point number two, a knowable love. This is what he says in the next section. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people. Why? What for? To grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, 
that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. What is the power for? To know the love of Christ. Think about that. We think of knowledge, we think of knowing things as a very like simple academic process. You go to school, you learn something. You pay a college, you come out with a degree, smarter, more credentialed. You didn't need supernatural power for that. What Paul is saying here is, I'm going to pray that you guys can get the power of God for a very specific purpose. You know what that is? So that you can know about the love of Christ. And in our modern mindset, we're like, I mean, I know the love of Christ. I also love what it says, to know the thing that surpasses knowledge. What is that? That's why it takes power. It takes supernatural power that must be focused over time to continue to grow in the knowledge of the love of Jesus. And to know that this love can fill and consume us. That's what I love about the end here. That this love isn't just something out floating in the universe that's unaccessible to us. That it, we can know it and it can fill us up. That's awesome. Here's a couple verses to kind of echo this. Here's one in Philippians. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through, the, through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Very similar ideas being communicated here to the Ephesians and to the Philippians. And here's another one. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is written by a guy that gets it. That gets, he's, he has learned, he has trained himself to know and relied on the power of God to know the love of Christ. And so he's able to write this, to teach others, and to live it out. And as much as we love this verse, it's very hard to live this verse out when you're facing any one of these things. So here's my question, and I'm going to drill it down and get specific. How big is the love of Jesus in your life? And I'm telling you guys, you have, we all have our church brains on right now. The answer is very simple. It's, it's big. <laughs> How big is the love of Jesus in your life? You're like, big, Ben, thanks. Let's go home. It's really big. It's this big. Here's my rebuttal to that. It's not big enough. All right. It can get a lot bigger. Whatever your perception of Jesus' love is right now, my prayer is that it will be more a year from now, and even more a year later. And as you go through life and you see your relationship with God grows and matures, your understanding of love continues to deepen and reach like crazy heights. I want to share something that I have done. I've seen this in my own life. 
smitten countless people. And it's not good at all. Because when I say this, how big is the love of Jesus in your life? You're like, big, Jesus loves me. And we interpret this so individualistically. We're like, this is about me. Jesus loves me. This I know. I want to share something that's, that we've all done. Okay. And I'm, I'm confessing this. We, I've, I've done this. I've spent a lot of my life doing this. We hold on to our lack of love. We find some area of our life where we refuse to love, and then we build an elaborate ideology around that. We actually come to value our lack of love. It becomes an ideology, and then, here's the most dangerous part, then we have to change Jesus to fit us. We have to change how does Jesus love so that, so that I am okay in my lack of love. Here's some examples. There's a book uh, that maybe some of you have read. It's called Boundaries. It's a great book. I'm not going to trash the book. I am, I am a little surprised sometimes that there's people that will talk about the idea of the book without ever having read the book. They're like, ooh, yeah, someone told me I need to set up boundaries. I'm going to, that sounds great to me. Boundaries, 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 boundaries. And then when I say, have you actually read the book? They're like, I mean, how hard can it be? Boundaries. <laughs> um, gosh, I'm going really long, guys. I'm sorry. It, the, the boundaries, the idea of the book is we are called as Christians, we are called to lead self controlled lives. This is, this is their main premise. We are called to lead self controlled lives where we should be able to control ourselves and not give that control to other people. Make sense? Pretty simple. I've seen that trickle down into people that maybe have not read the book, but they like the idea, or how it's implemented in other people's lives, and boundaries have been used to do some damaging things relationally. In fact, the guys that wrote the book wrote another book where they actually had to address that and say, you are using boundaries wrong. <laughs> boundaries should make you more loving, not less loving. Boundaries should make you bolder, not to not just give you an excuse to keep living in fear. On and on and on. Jesus is okay. I'm, here's here's what gets to us. We've over spiritualized what the way our flesh interprets the idea of boundaries, and this is what I have seen said. No one says this like this. Okay, no one would be stupid enough to actually say this out loud. Jesus is okay with me labeling that person toxic, never forgiving them, and never loving them. And we spiritualize the way that our flesh, not the spirit, the way our flesh destroys relationships and we call them boundaries. Just setting healthy boundaries. Now, are there such things as healthy boundaries? Heck yeah, of course. 
But I, I, it bothers me that we can turn it into a spiritual matter when it's really just in, indulging our flesh. And I'm not done. Here we go. All right. No, on Wednesdays we've been talking about politics and unity. And I would encourage you, if you guys have a specific thing you'd like to discuss with me, I'm open. Please come and talk to me. But I want to talk about the way that our society, specifically the left and the right split in our country, have both decided Jesus is on our side and we are going to claim him. So here we go. You ready? <laughs> to my brothers and sisters on the right, I, it bothers me that we have said, oh, I don't like people crossing the border into our country. And I'm going to say, Jesus probably didn't like them to come into our country either. I don't need to love them. I don't need to care about them. I've talked to Christians who are like, I don't care if people in other countries die. To my people on the left, talk to very good intentioned brothers and sisters during the heights of COVID that could not show compassion towards business owners that lost their entire life savings because it was a tragic time. And they were kind of having this like, I don't care. It was, it was shocking to me. To my friends, brothers and sisters on the right, I think we on the conservative side have done a horrible job showing Jesus to the poor among us. To my brothers and sisters on the left, we had a night where I really wanted to discuss in a very nuanced way the abortion debate. And I encourage you, please come talk to me about any of that stuff. But you cannot say Jesus is okay with abortion generally in our country. It should, you can't make it less of a, a tragedy. To my brothers and sisters on the right, there's a lot of minorities in this country that feel like unheard and unloved by people on the right. They're not showing the love of Jesus. And we're not proving them wrong. We're not displaying the love of Jesus. To my brothers and sisters on the left, we can over-romanticize systems of government that are very oppressive around the world. Be like, oh yeah, this is the way it should be here in America. And I don't think America has the best system of government, but you can't overly romanticize people that are like starving to death, dying of war. 
Guys, I say all this because our political system is built around the idea that we love our people. And we don't love the others. And we both claim Jesus. We say that, oh, Jesus doesn't love them either. We turn Jesus into like a caricature, like a, a crude drawing of who the, he really is. We slap a label on him, be like, and then claim him. Like, he's ours. And the people that I love, that's who Jesus loves. The people that I don't love, Jesus doesn't really love them either. And we never say that out loud. I'm trying to be really honest and specific here. But if the, if the love of Jesus is big in your life, you quickly realize that those things become silly, stupid, and they do way more damage than anything good. Let me read what Paul said again. I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. It is possible to get power from God so that you may be able to continue to grow in your ability to love people. And you're going to surpass, when you do this, when you commit to relying on God's Holy Spirit to learn how to love people, you're going to start surpassing worldly understandings of love. And Jesus says, like, everybody knows how to love like their people. Like, you know how to love your kids. Like, yeah, like everybody knows that. That's not special. What's the next level? Loving your enemies. And we are bad at loving our enemies. His love is bigger than your understanding. It's bigger than your understanding now. It's bigger than what your understanding is going to be tomorrow. It's bigger than your understanding is going to be a year from now. You need to rely on the power of God to continue to grow in your understanding of what love is. It's bigger than your... It's bigger than the news' ability to communicate. It's bigger than your favorite talk show host's ability to communicate. It's bigger than your favorite podcast. It's bigger than your self-help book. Like, you need God to understand God's love. Paul here is trying to focus us and nudge us in the direction that leads in that path. Guys, I got one more point. Okay. <laughs> I kind of parked on that for a while. I'm sorry. <laughs> we got one more. Point three, growing glory. This is what he says. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in all the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Now he could just pray, God, glor glorify your name. Like, praise be to God. Glory be to God. And he could leave it at that, button it up, nice simple prayer. 
For whatever reason, Paul interjects this very strange phrase in the middle. According to his power that is at work within us, glory be. God's glory, both in the church and outside and throughout generations, will be according to the power at work in us. That's like what we talked about last time. Like, I didn't sign up for that. I don't want that kind of pressure. I want God's name to be glorified irregardless of me. Regardless, like, I have nothing to do with me. I don't want to have to display God's power so that his name will be glorified. I just want his name to be glorified. But I don't want to do anything about it. Paul doesn't pray for God's glory to be displayed on its own in a vacuum. He prefaces it and asks that it be in accordance with the measure by which his miraculous power is at work within us. Here's another way that I rephrase this. Inasmuch as your Holy Spirit is displayed in our lives, let your name be glorified. This goes back to last week, the manifold wisdom. That he's going to use the church to teach the spiritual realm about how his, his wisdom is. Here's another verse. Matthew, when Jesus starts the prayer, the Lord's Prayer. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And we did an entire series on the Lord's Prayer. It's called Heroes in Heaven. I encourage you to go back and listen to this one. What does it mean for a name to be hallowed? It means I want your name to be lifted up, magnified, multiplied, raised up. And Jesus here is saying, pray for the things that will cause my Father's name to be magnified, honored, grow throughout the world. Here's the way I, I pray this. God, use me in a way that will uh, magnify your reputation. But here's the problem. What if that way that God is going to use me is not what if God has a plan for his name to be hallowed, for his glory to be throughout all generations, in the church and outside the church? And it relies on us going through hardship. So here's my question, and I've got some specifics. Can you pray for God's glory to grow in your life? Can you pray for God's glory to grow in your life even if it's painful? Now, I want you to think back to times where God has been glorified through very troubling circumstances. And you're like, yep, God's name was glorified through this hardship or disease or the trouble. Like, okay, but now can you pray for more of those? Nope. I'll continue to pray for ease and comfort and God to take away my problems. Can you pray, God, turn up the heat on me as long as it transforms me into something that will show the world your glory? You're like, I don't pray that. <laughs> That's good. Here's an example. 
Anytime you demonstrate repentance publicly on display, when you show someone, hey, I was wrong. This is I was not living the way God wanted me to live, and I I am changing. Guess what? That brings glory to God. Is it hard? Is it is it easy? Is it comfortable? We like to repent in private. What is something you need to do that you cannot do on your own power? This is what Paul's talking about. That through God's power in us, we will demonstrate his glory to the world. This is an, uh, another example is, well, this is why evangelism is so scary. You're like, I don't want to tell people about Jesus. It's like, yeah. It's like living out this, this, this last bit of the prayer. We need God's power to be able to live in a way that will demonstrate the glory to other people. Can you pray for God's glory to grow in us? I would encourage all of you to think of something. Think of something. Maybe the Holy Spirit is working on you right now. It's like, and it's just pointing out this one area of your heart. This one thing where it's like, this is this you're not going to be able to do on your own. You're going to need the Holy Spirit. You're going to need God's power to do this. But I guarantee you, if you do, God's name will be glorified in the community and the world. Now I would say, don't keep that to yourself. Talk to someone about it. So guys, we're going to wrap this up and take communion. We have this prayer from Paul about this church. And he gives three examples of power. The power to be a dwelling place where Jesus finds a suitable habitation in your heart. The power to know Christ's love, not just the version of Christ's love that we feel comfortable with. Christ's love that is scary. The power to grow God's glory through us. Now, you can continue to live on your own power and continue getting the same results that you've been getting your whole life. It's totally normal and typical. But Jesus won't find a welcome home in your heart. The fullness of his love will always be minimized and elusive and will shape it to fit our needs and wants and agendas. And his name will be stagnant and powerless in the world. And you know, guys, I look around this room and I look at you guys. I cannot communicate how much unlimited spiritual potential I see just in this room. I'm blown away when I try to imagine the future that your lives hold. You, wherever you're at now, even a month from now, a year from now, five years from now, you can be crazy new heights of God's love in your relationship with God. See the potential for what you could become when you stop relying on your own power. 
think that's the plague that is sweeping churches. Filled with people who are relying on their own power. And it's amazing, and I wish you could see it. I wish you could see the potential that I see in you. There is an unlimited spiritual potential sitting in this room that is world-changing. But you have to start praying the way Paul prayed. You have to start begging God to be changed by his power. Amen? I'm going to pray and we're going to take communion. God, thank you for your son. Thank you for Christ and his willingness to demonstrate that awe-inspiring love on the cross. That he's willing to lay down his life, sacrifice all of the glory of heaven to die like a criminal here on earth. God, I pray that we don't take that for granted and that we can think about the dwelling place in our heart. Even right now, as we take the bread and the juice, we can think about the small small table and chairs in our heart where we can invite anyone we want to come and dwell. And I know that your son wants to be there with us. And God, I know that we ask him to leave so often. Pray in times like communion that we can invite him in and commune with him. And we love you and we pray all of this in his name. Amen.